Welcome to another edition of Tech Watch Radio. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. My name is Sam Bushman. NPITechGuys.com, our website. NetworkProvidersInc.com, our secondary website. Both relate to all that we do in tech. We run servers in the cloud and provide security and consulting and everything related to tech. We do it all. Welcome to Tech Watch Radio. My name is Sam Bushman. Jay Harrison with me. Welcome, sir. Howdy, Sam. Got a bunch of strange topics to discuss today, not very fun topics. Nevertheless, there you go. Krebs on security is where we start out today, huh, Jay? Yeah, so uh, Brian Krebs is a security researcher. You probably heard him before. He's uh, pretty famous in the yeah. industry. He does the Krebs on security uh, bulletin, and he's talking about recently he sent out a, a newsletter, and uh, he was saying that Google continues to struggle with cyber criminals running malware, that's malvertisement, some people call them, uh, or malicious ads on their search platform to trick people into downloading booby-trapped copies of popular software. Usually this is free or open-source software. And these malicious ads, which appear above the organic search results, because that's the way Google places their ads, um, often will trick people into thinking they're le- the legitimate links to get the software. And so they download it, and they've you know they've either put malware or adware or unwanted stuff inside of, they've wrapped it into the installer, and people are getting this. Um, so they're kind of getting go- dicey s- search results. And yes, it's certainly the fault of the people that are doing it, but it, it's also a little bit Google's fault, I think, for I wouldn't putting say their a little bit. There. I would say a lot because Google can control all this, and especially if it's above there where the ads are, money's being made here, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why they're putting their ads because they're hoping. You know, let's say you, you're searching for, um, I don't know, some P- open PDF software or LibreOffice. You know, you might see an advertisement for Microsoft Office ahead of that, so that you would buy it. Uh, that's kind of the idea. But this, to me, the the uh, the takeaway from this is, you know, I run a program called uBlock Origin. It's a browser extension, and it blocks a lot of ads. And, you know, a lot of people say, hey, you know, you, you shouldn't do that because ads are what's paying the freight. And I understand that argument, but I have actually been duped by this before one time on a workstation. And I was, I don't even remember what I was downloading. It might have been LibreOffice or something like that. It seems like it was smaller. It might have been um, Sumatra, which is a PDF reader. And I clicked on what I thought was a download link because they, they literally made the ad look like it was the download button on that site and installed it and realized halfway through the install this was bogus. I had to I had to wipe the whole machine, start over the operating system, everything. I mean, it probably set me back a couple hours worth of work because I clicked on the wrong link. And so I learned from that, hey, you know, and you run something like uBlock Origin and you can not only do you skip all the ads and it speeds up everything and makes it makes things more secure. And so, I mean, that's kind of my solution. And uh, when people complain about that a little bit, I, I point to sources like this and say, this is a serious problem. And Google needs to do a better job of vetting these advertisers and maybe, um, you know, maybe putting their ads on the side or somewhere where it's it's very clear that this is ads and this is the content you're looking for and, and not intermix those so much. Well, and the problem with ads is, especially if it's, say, Microsoft, just for instance, um, You know, when you look at results and you're kind of confused because there's a gazillion results, you tend to gravitate towards, okay, this is an advertiser. They're spending money, so they're legitimate. Uh, It's Microsoft, so it's legitimate. It's promoted by Google, so it's legitimate. You have all these kind of unstated endorsements in a way. Right. Right. that, that also make you feel this way, Jay. Now, I'm not saying that, that it's legitimate exactly, but I am saying I get why people kind of get duped by this or whatever. It's like, hey, you know what? I 
I want to choose the ad, the one that's a, a legitimate player. Well, Google needs to vet their advertisers better and find out, you know what, are you promoting, selling good, clean software? Um, are you, is this ad legitimate or is this a spyware, a malware or a who knows what? Um, Google, in my opinion, has real, when you said that they're part of this in a minimal way, I think it's a huge way because they need to decide what advertisers they're going to accept and not. And they need to vet their advertisers way better than this. You'd also think that every other company would be responsible for that in the physical world with products or whether it's other companies. They just kind of claim they're a search engine so they're not responsible, but they're partnering in the revenue from this scam, if you will. And so I'm holding Google more responsible even than the people who are placing the ads. We know the people that are placing the ads are bad guys. Right. But Google should have a vetting process that says, look, you know what? We want to make sure you're a legitimate company, that you have legitimate software, that you have good ratings from the Better Business Bureau. I don't know what, what you know, quantifiable data they can surround this discussion with, but they need to vet this and only put up things that are advertised that are real and true and good and, and honorable. And I, and I think really the weight of this is on Google, in my opinion. Well, and Google's, Google's business model is crawling the web and searching everything out. You'd think that they would be able to, even in an automated way, search these ads, continue, you know, and it's true that an advertiser may advertise one thing and then switch a link out or switch a uh, an EXE out for something malicious after it's been vetted. But they should continue to crawl that, check that stuff, run it through their own virus scanners or even third-party ones like VirusTotal or whatever. Um, I think that Google could have an automated way to keep keep an eye on their advertisers and make sure that things are checking out and that people aren't getting duped. And there's a lot of these ads that are like that. And I don't know if that takes. Yeah. Cause you uh, could say that Google is a purveyor of spyware and you'd be correct. Well, and I don't know if it takes a person looking at it, but certainly Google's also a key player and a, and a leading person in, in AI. They should be able to have tools and bots that could detect this sort of stuff and at least flag it for follow-up for a human there at Google to make sure that this isn't happening. You're right about that. So here's what the, the basically story says more about it. The malicious ads, which appear above organic search results and often precede links to legitimate sources. So it's even preempting legitimate sources of the same software. So one of the ways that you can kind of know is be very, very, very careful. Um, don't just use Google to take you places. Right. Right. It's like you're kind of trusting in this autopilot that's betraying you. Go to the original source to download something. Right. Um, they say this makes searching for software on Google a dicey affair. And I know you said that before, but I wanted to repeat that so people understand. Google's kind of the problem here, because if I literally go to a website that's for my sound card or for my whatever, and I go to their website and I put in my you know make and model and whatever and serial number, whatever, however they locate the right drivers for what I need or whatever, or the right software. If I go to the legitimate site, I'm in good shape. But if I rely on Google, they're going to lead me astray. I mean, that's the real takeaway from this. So make sure that you're really going to the right place. It's kind of like when you get an email. Don't just click on something. If they say, hey, Sam, your credit card's been compromised. You're this or that. You know, do, click here. No, no, no. All I need to do is go to my credit card, look on the back of it, get the phone number off my credit card and call and say, hey, is this thing a legitimate issue or whatever? Go to the original source is my whole point. This is really nothing different. It's just taken to a a more betraying level, if you will, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, I, you're thinking Google's protecting you and they're not. In fact, they're leading you astray. And because of the way they do it, it kind of legitimizes it. And people think you know, that right. they can trust that. And 
Um, I think there's got to be easier ways and better ways to delineate that and also to search for it. Another thing, and this is just a solution for people, um, you heard me mention it before, virustotal.com. Anytime you download something, uh, a program, an executable, I think you should upload it to that and check it. In fact, usually if it's seen it before, it will just run a, a cryptographic hash on the program at first just to get like a um, it'll give you a, a, an equivalent of a crc check which means hey just make sure the bytes are exactly the way they're supposed to be there's nothing's been altered exactly and if it sees that it can almost instantly tell you if it's something that's popular or whatever it's seen before this is totally good there's nothing wrong with it and if it isn't it will ask you hey do you want to upload this file like maybe it's a document or whatever um, and it will scan it with about 70 different um, virus checkers uh, lots of them that are out there and um, give you a pretty good report. It's completely free. It actually makes the web better because as people do this, um, it makes the scans quicker and faster and automated for other people. And it's it's sort of like a community project, and it's a pretty cool website. I've been using it for a couple of years now, virustotal.com. Amen. Great reference, uh, by the way. Hopefully we can add that to the show notes. What is it? Virus totals? Virus total, singular, um, V-I-R-U-S-T-O-T-A-L.com. Virustotal.com. Yep. Exactly. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, of great service to all of us. Make sure you run those things through. It's just another step in your security. So one thing I wanted to uh, touch on real quick is uh, we had a, an interesting thing from CES this year, and this is um, a report that somebody had put on TikTok uh, about a company that is making water from the air. This large behemoth that I saw at CES this year creates water from air. How is this possible? That's a great question. So, so right now we're making water from air here in the booth, and soon we'll have water pitchers out and you'll be able to taste pure drinking water. And so what we do is we take the humidity out of the water, we pump air into the machine, it gathers the water that's in, in the air. This has 50 gallons of tanks underneath it. So we fill up the tanks and then we start filling up everything from that. We do a lot with the government, but this is the very first day that it's been open to the consumer market. Oh, really? So you're catching it early on. This unit's designed to go next to a house and generate all the water you need for a house. It can replace a well, it can replace city water, and we make bigger units that can do even more. Well, if you can imagine two 55-gallon drums sitting here, they can refill those every day. Every day? Every day. If you go to genesissystems.com, uh, you can look at our website and there's information there. A unit like this right now is $20,000. So that's a pretty cool unit. It's if you look at the size of it, it's about the size of like an air conditioning unit that would be outside of your house and uh, could just generate water. It's a pretty amazing tech, Sam. It is amazing tech, and you know this is something that you and I have talked about for years that we want them to make something like this. And they have these. The ones that they showed there actually, even though it's on the smaller end, the scale it's still big and expensive, right? A couple grand oh, yeah. or whatever. That was twenty grand for that one. Okay, that twenty grand about. for that one. Which, so, you know, you know if you look I'm at the cost of a well nowadays, they used to be, a, you could put a well in for five grand. They're now 12 you know, or ten, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 to put a well in, at least where I'm at in Florida. Um, yeah, or more. Yeah, when you go out in the desert in places, you know, you put a well in in Florida is usually about 100 feet. You go in places in, out west, you could have a thousand foot well, and they're significantly more than that. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And so this is very interesting technology, whether it's good enough to be reliable is what I don't know. Like solar is great, but it's not reliable. Wind's great, but it's not reliable, right? You can't yeah. count on it all the time in terms of its of its guaranteed output. You're kind of a, 
so whether this is is reliable or not, I assume in Florida it's going to give you a lot more water than say in uh, say Wyoming or Utah or something. I would assume so. Humidity yeah. in the air, right? A lot easier. Yeah, sure. I also but, imagine but, that these take a huge amount of electricity as well, because um, probably on on the same order of like an air conditioner to generate the water out of the air. There, are other units I've seen. You can buy units that are similar to this on on like Amazon. There's one that's I think twelve hundred or th- or maybe two grand. That's about the size of a water cooler, and it produces a couple of gallons a day of water out of the air. But it's like running a window unit. You know, you're running 800, 1,000 watts to do it. Yeah. Um, Genesis Systems, I guess, is who put this one together. And there's a few other competitors uh, in this field, as far as I understand, stuff like that. And they've got, you know, teeny ones that you can use. And I'd like to play with them. But, man, right now the cost is a little high and the reliability, I just don't know. Like, how long will this thing last? How much really will it cost me per gallon of water to to, to produce versus a well? You know, a well, you got to have electricity to pump it unless you're going to pump it by hand. So, you know, the comparisons are what I don't have enough knowledge about. Yeah, and I, you know, we've we've seen stuff like this in the past, years past, and we've always been kind of hesitant to focus too much on because it could be vaporware. We've seen lots of products like that that never even make it out. What is interesting about this is it's actually getting into consumer hands, even though it's very expensive and still bleeding edge technology. At least it's there, it's doable. You can try it, you can buy it if you have the money or the or the need for it and want to test some of this stuff out. I've also seen units that are made for campers. Um, that are like desktop units, and they're smaller. They produce a smaller quantity of water. But still, the idea that you can just have water out of the air wherever you're at, and you and you just gather that water, use, turning energy into water from the air, you don't need a well. You, you don't have to have access. You know, if you're boondocking or dry camping somewhere, um, it's pretty interesting tech. I like to see it. But you got to have electricity. You do have to have electricity, yep, definitely. So anyway, there you have it. I also think this, we keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. This is expensive now, but it's real, though. It's being sold, and it really works, and people use it and stuff like that, and unique installations. Uh, my expectation is the miniaturization of things. In other words, it's going to get smaller, cheaper, faster, better, more efficient. Uh, that's kind of the next stage in this reality, right? Yeah, that's what things always do or tend to, especially with wide adoption. So if a lot of people start... Um using this and and getting it and doing it even if it's just a backup water source i could see people who have uh homes in different areas if the water's unreliable you'll see this all the time in cities where they have a problem with the municipal water supply and and everybody's on hey you're supposed to boil your water before you use it you know you could have something like this as a backup in your house to where you'd have another source of water i know people who have wells in um, cities, even like in South Florida, and the city is going around and telling people you can't use your well anymore. You have to hook up to municipal water supply. And so, you know, this is a, just one more option for people to have access to clean water. And it's kind of cool. I want them to take salt water from uh, and then turn it into regular water. That can happen, too, but it's really expensive. I'm well, hoping that'll get cheaper and better and everything else. And if you're on the seas, you know, if you're on the ocean, I, I think this would be even easier. You humi- Humidity's high. You could turn this into fresh water right from uh, a boat. I would I, I would imagine that on a lot of ships, private, you know, sailing ships and, and yachts and stuff like this, this technology is already installed and existing. Um, we're just seeing it now at more of a consumer grade. And this item here being a whole house delivery system for a consumer uh, project is pretty neat to see. 
Amen. And it's going to become more ubiquitous and everything else, meaning that when it starts to reach this kind of status pretty soon, it doesn't take long before, you know what, it's commonplace. And that's what we're kind of keeping an eye on just for you. Really quick before the end of the uh, show this time, I want to highlight Microsoft joins uh, their peers. And what do I mean by that? They're cutting, well, let's see, 1,900 jobs from what's called Activision Blizzard and the Xbox divisions. Um, New York Times has this piece, but the reductions come three months after the tech giant, meaning Microsoft, purchased or completely bought this uh, Activ- Activision Blizzard. I think it's called. It's like a gaming division. They bought it for $69 uh, billion. And three months later, they're literally cutting a ton of the staff. This month, they say thousands of employees across the video game industry are being told that they are facing layoffs. Yeah, it's really kind of unsettling. Um, what happened is, I guess, during COVID, people, everybody played video games, and now people are getting outside and kind of backing away from so much playing of video games. But they say right games, which makes what? League of Legends or whatever. Laying off 11% of its workforce. Twitch, a video streaming platform. Cutting 35% of its staff. Discord, the social platform um, known for gamers. And they're laying off uh, 18% of their ranks. Um, It's called Unity Software. Uh, It's a software for game developers. Quarter of its staff or approximately 1,800 jobs. This is a massive layoff bonanza, Jay, right at the start of the year. And here's the interesting kicker. They all had layoffs last year as well, they say. So companies are shedding workers and cutting costs big time. Uh, this one guy says, if everybody around you is cutting costs uh, to you know benefit their overhead, you must do the same or go extinct. I, I find that interesting. I wonder if this is kind of the end of the video game gold rush, you know? You see a lot so. of a lot of people trying to get into this. I, I'm amazed at how many people I see coming out of high school, going to college, and they want to develop video games. You know, they they're like, oh, I just want to I want to be on a video game tester. I want to be a video game coder or whatever. I think that's cool and that's great. But I, you know, it's almost like trying to get into the NBA now when you have so few jobs and so many people that want to have this dream job of working on video games. Um, and a lot of people are getting laid off. I don't. I I think people need to make sure that they have a, a backup, um, real world or real applicable kind of a skill to put. Like whether they're going to work on databases or graphic design or something else more than just like, hey, I want to be in video games. Um, I think there's been a big gold rush on that, and I think we're seeing some scaling back of it. Yeah, and if you're Sam Bushman, you want to be a general IT consultant and help people with security, and you want to be on the radio and talk about these things and just kind of help people understand. But I'm telling you right now, they all back in the day said, hey, tech was going to save us. And now they say companies are shedding workers and cutting costs in an effort to stay competitive. I think that's an interesting kind of a statement is that it's kind of a getting cutthroat. And just because you're in tech, that doesn't mean you're going to have a job. No, I think it's kind of critical to, to decide which vertical market in tech you're going to go in. You know, when I started in tech, Jay, almost 40 years ago, believe it or not, um, one tech guy could do most of the tech stuff. Right. Not everything. I'm not saying he knew everything, but he could really handle most of your stuff. Now it's so uh, such a vast market and the, the, and the knowledge is so uniquely um, 
customized or I don't know what word to use, but so unique to each thing that you do. Hey, just because you know a ton about printers, that doesn't mean you know a lot about other tech. If you work for a printer company, you might be a great printer guy, but you don't know a lot about things. If you're a security guy, you know, you may not know a lot about the gaming industry or the video industry or the audio industry or all I'm telling you is that tech has become so ubiquitous and pervasive in our lives. It's everywhere and it's always on and it's to where, you know what, it takes a whole team. To keep That's up with true. this kind of stuff. Because you can't just be the guy that knows how to put together a PC and make, you know, Lotus 1, 2, 3 work. Um, you've, now tech is all of your telephone systems, all of your credit card processing machines, all of accounting, all of um, everything that you're doing. It doesn't matter yeah, what business you're in. inventory control and scanning and the list. Yeah. I mean, and, and everything you just can't is tech. have expertise in all that. And you can't be the one guy who knows everything about all of it. You just It doesn't happen. So everything gets specialized, and now you have vendors that you have to deal with, and um, you need a, a whole team almost, depending if you're a, a small to medium-sized business or even especially enterprise. I mean, no doubt, everybody knows that. But um, even what you would consider small business, somebody that's, um, you know, got 50 to 500 employees, they're going to have multiple tech guys uh, just to handle their equipment, even if they feel like they're not in a tech industry. Yeah, I mean, you've even got guys that just specialize in um, firewall routers. That's yeah. what they do. They're experts in the firewall routing and the networking and the uh, security, and, the, and they keep up on it. And, and I know a lot about that, Jay, but I don't do it every day. Right. Right. And so if you have a unique router that a lot of these routers have very complicated command lines and complicated firmwares and and customization configurations and all and these virtual kind of things. lands and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I yeah. Mean. And, and so if you don't do it every day, even though you generally understand it, I've got to go to my router guy on my network providers Inc. team and say, hey, can you make this adjustment to this or can you do this? And that? I know what needs to be done, but I don't know the nuances and the techno same thing with websites and stuff like that or, you know, some of the. Unless you do that every day, you don't know the coding to bootstrap some of this and that and build a full stack app. Things change, something upgrades, and they've got to chase that and focus on that every day all the time to be good at it. So that's why I kind of stay now in the general IT consulting field where I, I give people strategic vision on their IT projects, and I help companies know what software to embrace. Um, if there's 50 choices out there, I'll help you narrow it down based on your use case. And, and that's kind of what I do uh, for a living. Um, I used to specialize in certain things. I started out as a hardware guy back in the very, very beginning. I would build and sell computers to colleges and things like this. Uh, and then Dell came along and destroyed that business because they went directly to consumer and stuff like that. And so then I moved in more to a value-added reseller. And then I moved more into just general IT consulting. And, and now I do a lot of consulting that relates to IT, but I do a lot of consulting that relates to HR. Because believe it or not, there's a whole section of IT that's HR now, too, or HR that's IT, whichever you want to call it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and these things get more complex as we go. And as we do, people specialize more and more and more. So the whole point to this is, you know what? If you're going to be in the tech field, don't just pick gaming or something simple to where you just think you're going to hang out all day and have a great time and be a rock star. Those days are over. Uh, and, and the days of you actually having some vertical knowledge in something and bringing something unique to the table with your experience, and that's where the money's made. That's where stability happens. Uh, and so anyway, that's just a kind of a recommendation, but I find that interesting. We are literally seeing the end of the, of the gaming gold rush, so to speak. And now we're kind of seeing it kind of harden as an industry and Hey, what's real. So they're saying we're going to trim our staffs and find more games for more people. Well, that sounds like an impossible task. Well, that's what modern day is requiring of them though, Jay. Well, All just, these companies to stay competitive have to do that. Decrease your staff and come out with more. Wait till artificial intelligence starts writing games. Um, it will. It's already it's starting to happen. You're seeing characters that are based on AI so that they're fluently interactive with people and different every time. 
um, that's going to turn gaming also upside down. I mean, you're still going to have Amen. lots of people needed for the creative side, but a lot of the content generation, a lot of the, the, the like the character interactions, NPCs, all this kind of things, these are all going to be taken over by AI, and it's going. You're going to see a Amen. lot of cuts in. Jay, in, do you like self checkout? Do I like self checkout? Yeah. Uh, there's pros and cons. It's generally faster, but I kind of don't like it. I don't like the fact that they try to put people on the hook for um, uh, stuff a little bit. Like I've heard some horror stories. It never happened to me or anything, but we're well. It's they're it's disassembling the automated checkout stuff. In one of the next episodes or two, we'll be discussing that in detail because we'll not cover only are it. The, the consumers sick of it. So are the companies that put it in place. They're about to yank it all out, and there's reason we'll talk about it all on one of the future episodes of Tech Watch Radio. Thanks so much for keeping an eye on tech with us. Um, the broadcast is available, mpitechguys.com. Spread the word, share the love, mpitechguys.com. Make it a great tech day, will you? Hey, thanks.